The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Today I'd like to talk about mindfulness. And um, I'd like to talk about it in the context of the Eightfold Path because we've been exploring over this past while the factors of the Eightfold Path. And um, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about various ways to uh, look at wise effort, which is the preceding factor on the Eightfold Path. But to, um, to begin, I'd just like to just overview uh, the, a little bit about the Eightfold Path. The Buddha talked about the training that we explore to understand our minds and how they, uh, they work, basically. And in understanding our minds and in how they work, we begin to... Actually, it's more the mind begins to see how to uh, relate to the world in a way that is much more skillful. And he said, you know, that this gradual, that, that it's a gradual path. It's, it's not something that we hear once and that we just go, oh yes, aha. <laughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's a path that we have to walk. And it takes time to explore um, various qualities of mind, various tools, various practices, before our minds really begin to shift and change. It's kind of like turning a, a battleship. It's like turning some a very large thing. It's it's you can't just quickly do that. It's got to be a gradual process of change. And the one way that the Buddha talked about this gradual training was in three stages or three sections. That there's a training in ethical conduct, in how we relate with the world, um, and the emphasis there is in non-harming, to look at how we are. Um, connecting with others and our environment and to relate to the world in ways that don't create harm or suffering for either ourselves or others. And that's, that's the first aspect of training. In that training, we are gaining a lot of understanding in terms of the, the deepening of the path, uh, the deepening of our understanding. Um, we're gaining knowledge about what's helpful for us in terms of moving away from struggle, suffering, distress, dissatisfaction, unease, suffering in our lives. So we're learning about that as we engage with exploring what non-harming means. We're learning about what non-harming means for self and for self and for other. And this exploration cultivates effort. It cultivates mindfulness. And so, you know, we can't really look at the, the, the factors of the Eightfold Path include, um, I'll just name them right now. They include wise, wise understanding, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And sometimes people think of them as being, you know, steps. You know, you first you do the first, and then you do the second. But it's more, I like the, the way it's sometimes called the eightfold path. It's more that they're all folded on, on top of each other and interpenetrating each other. We can't really cultivate um, wise speech, for example, or wise action, we can't cultivate non-harming action without being mindful. We can't cultivate non-harming action without bringing our um, understanding of what helps us move away from suffering and harm. And that's wise effort. So they're all, they're all interpenetrating. And the first, the first place the Buddha suggested was helpful to explore is in our relationship with the world. Let's, let's explore how we relate to the larger context of our lives. And that's a great training, a great place to start. And then the next aspect of this gradual training is to begin to look more at our relationship to ourselves. 
how do the things that happen in our own minds create struggle, dissatisfaction, distress, harm for ourselves? And so, you know, how, how, how does that work? And that's the, the samadhi act, section of the Eightfold Path or the concentration aspect of the Eightfold Path or we could say meditative development aspect of the Eightfold Path. And this aspect includes wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And as we explore our relationship to the world, as we explore um, non-harming in our relationship to the world, as we explore how our own minds contribute to our own distress, dissatisfaction, unease, those things contribute to our understanding and the development of our our wisdom. And this is the third aspect of the gradual training, that the cultivation of ethical conduct supports and um, begins to allow us to deepen our um, meditative and internal exploration, which allows us to deepen our understanding. And the understanding... And the understanding is really about, it comes back to this question of, of, of struggle, of dissatisfaction, of distress, of, of suffering. The understanding, the wisdom is about what is it that helps me to be a happier human being. So the mental cultivation aspect, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration over the past few weeks, we've been exploring wise effort, which is defined as, first of all, it, it, it again has some, some wisdom components to it. So again, that, that the way that these are all interwoven, that there needs to be some kind of understanding of what's helpful for us and what's not helpful for us. The whole way that wise effort is defined is as making effort towards those, um, those aspects of our our mind, those aspects of our mental mind states, to cultivate those kinds of mind states that lead us away from struggle, suffering, that lead us towards happiness, and to let go of, um, redirect our, our, or let go of abandon, um, find the, the ways, understand the causes and conditions that lead us towards engaging in things that are not helpful and begin to let go of those. And this is, this is really the turning of that battleship. You know, we're turning our minds towards the wholesome, towards the skillful, towards what helps us. We're letting go of what doesn't help us. And so there's the effort to cultivate um, beautiful qualities of mind, wholesome qualities of mind such as patience, kindness, generosity, mindfulness, concentration, love, compassion, and to let go of things that don't serve us in our exploration towards happiness, states that are motivated, states, actions that are motivated out of unkindness, out of aversion, out of greed, out of confusion. So there is that active choosing or cultivating of what's helpful for us. In, um, and we use mindfulness in that exploration. Without mindfulness, I mean, mindfulness is the, is the quality of the mind that lets us know, uh, you know what's going on in, our, in the present moment. So it's, 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 again, all integrated. So as we uh, cultivate wise effort, as we are exploring, for instance, well, what, what would it mean to cultivate generosity? We begin to understand a little bit about what it means to be mindful, we, we see where, we, we see in our experience what it feels like to be generous, what it feels like to be contracted around generosity. So again, we're cultivating mindfulness as we explore wise effort. And as we cultivate mindfulness itself, as we explore mindfulness 
just as this factor that helps us to be present in the present moment. If we think of a definition, perhaps, a working definition for mindfulness is something along the lines of, and I'll, I'll deepen this definition as we go, but something along the lines of knowing what's happening while it's happening. It's kind of really simple. It's a, it's a quality, a factor of mind that is very ordinary. It is part of what makes us human, this ability to know what's happening while it's happening kind of this self-reflective capacity of mind. And as we cultivate this quality of mindfulness itself, along with some understanding of what's helpful for us and what's not helpful for us, this, this aspect of mindfulness actually encourages wise effort. So they, they, they feed back with each other. Because as we, for instance, as we explore with mindfulness some difficult mind state that, that might be, um, uh, you know, not... It, like anger, for instance, is not... We wouldn't typically say that anger is, is wise effort. But mindfulness of anger is wise effort. Because as we pay attention to anger with mindfulness, it encourages, or we recognize, first of all what happens is we recognize as we turn our attention with mindfulness to the experience of anger. To not be focused outward in the world on what we're angry at, which tends to just keep us in the loop of anger. But to turn towards what is the experience of anger. One of the first things we notice is, this is this is suffering. This is not a feeling that is something that feels like I'm headed towards well-being. So mindfulness begins to reveal to us in the moment how our, um, you know, what actually is helpful for us. So we begin to not, it's not just an intellectual thing anymore. Well, somebody says anger is not helpful. We turn our mindful attention towards our anger and we feel how it's hurting us in this moment. And so that, that encourages us to begin, that understanding that it is suffering in this moment begins to allow the mind, again, to kind of make the, the slow, gentle movements, the, the, the turning towards the letting go of that anger. And so, as we explore mindfulness, it reinforms wise effort. So, to start, I mentioned this kind of beginning working definition of mindfulness as um, knowing what's happening while it's happening. And, um, you know, that's... That's a good place to start because I think we all have a sense of that, what it means to know what's happening while it's happening. In the, um, in the commentaries of the Buddhist teachings, it also includes some additional qualities with mindfulness. And I, we could say that these these additional qualities are aspects of what we, we, we might call wise mindfulness. That wise mindfulness includes a non-judgmental, um, kind of non-reactive component to what we're paying attention to. So there's things arising in the present moment, knowing what's happening while it's happening, and there's non-reactivity to what is happening. That that, I mean, the, the quality of mindfulness itself is is pretty neutral. It's you know it's a reflecting. It's just knowing what's happening while it's happening. It doesn't care what's happening. It's just recognizing there's this, you know, this is happening, this is happening. It doesn't, mindfulness can reflect anything. It can, it can reflect painful experience and it can reflect beautiful experience. And mindfulness itself isn't judging that, isn't deciding what's good or bad. Mindfulness is just reflecting. 
And so there is a way that as we connect to the experience of mindfulness itself, we're moving in the direction of just watching experience and not reacting to experience. So our usual experience, our usual... You know, we, we, we have moments of mindfulness. As I said, it's a completely ordinary quality of mind. It's been happening all your lives that mindfulness has been coming and going. You know, it's, it's been happening already. It's not something new here that we're trying to create. What we're, what we're looking at is beginning to recognize the mindfulness that does come up and kind of incline towards cultivating that. But what normally happens when we become aware of what's happening while it's happening, what typically happens in our experience, is not that we simply recognize, oh, that's what's happening in the present moment. Our habit is to take what's happening in the present moment, and, and our training, actually, not just our habit, but the way we've lived our lives, everything, the whole conditioning that we've had around our lives is that when we notice something that's happening in the present moment, our first instinct is to say, what am I supposed to do with this? Do I need to get rid of it? Do I need to figure out how to keep it or hold on to it? Do I need to uh, figure it out so that I understand it better? So the first movement is not to notice that we have become aware of something, but to figure out what to do with what we have become aware of. So, you know, we, um, you walk into your kitchen and, and you see, um, you see that there are ants all over the kitchen. You know, it's like, you're not simply probably going to go in there and say, oh, the mind has recognized there are ants in the kitchen. <laughs> you're probably immediately going to start planning. What do I need to do about this? How can I fix this? So this is, the, this is typical for us. You know, there is a moment, there is a moment, a split second of that recognizing. This is what's happening in the present moment. I've walked into the kitchen and I've seen ants. There's just a split second. But immediately we've leaped onto that and started thinking about what to do. How to, how to fix this, how to change this. So this process, um, it's, it, 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 it too is also kind of a, this process of becoming aware of something and then deciding what to do about it, is also a pretty normal, natural unfolding in our lives. And it is the place where those unwholesome, unskillful tendencies that, we've, that we tend to, uh, you know, our short-sighted ways of thinking, where, how do we find happiness? You know, oh, if I get this thing that I want or get rid of this thing that I don't want, that's how I'll be happy. So those short-sighted ways, that's where those, those slip in. When we see something in a moment and then we... We, we immediately leap into, oh, what do I need to do? How do I need to fix this? How do I need to change that? That's where those, those, those movements of, of greed, aversion, delusion can just slip in because of habit and because of training, you know, that we've, we've seen over and over again, as I've explored in the past, um, past times in this class, that uh, when we get what we want, we feel good. When we get rid of what we don't want, it feels, it feels better. And so we, we think that's what we have to do. That that's how to engage in the world. So this place where you know, we, we, we slip from noticing what's happening in the present moment into taking action and doing, that's the moment where this, uh, the movement towards suffering happens. Because in the not recognizing what's that, that we have become aware, it's kind of like our subconscious, our, our usual patterns, our usual tendencies just kick in. So we just be- behave in the ways that we're familiar with behaving. 
So with mindfulness, if we actually recognize, you walk into the kitchen, you know, you see the ants. It's like, we recognize that and know it as a moment of mindfulness. In that moment, we, because we've recognized it as a moment of mindfulness, because we've seen, oh, I'm aware here, there is some opportunity for us to, rather than just having the subconscious automatic habit program run of what we would do in that situation, we have the opportunity to choose and perhaps behave in a somewhat different way rather than our habitual tendency, which might be to get out the can of raid and just kill all of the ants. So there, may be, there might be another approach um, to exploring this. I'll tell you one of my approaches, just, just to not leave you hanging there because <laughs> you might think, what on earth else could I do? <laughs> And, and I've, used, I've done many things with the ants in my kitchen. I've done many, many things. But one, one time, one time uh, I walked in and it, it was amazing how many ants there were in my kitchen. They were everywhere. Um, you know, a very thick line of ants like all along the ceiling. And it's like, oh, there are so many ants in here. And what I did in that moment, I, I, I said, I actually spoke to the ants. <laughs> I said, you know, this is not a good place for you. And, um, <laughs> um, and I'll give you, I have to go out right now, and I'll be back in about three hours, and I'll give you three hours to go away. <laughs> and they went away. <laughs> I was shocked. I got back into the kitchen, and they were all gone. <laughs> so, and, and I've done other things. I won't go into all of that. But, but just that you notice, you know, gives you an opportunity to behave in a slightly different way, to not just immediately react out of your habitual tendencies. And if you do have to engage in something, you know, a, an an action that you know is is causing harm, like you might have to to kill some ants, you know at least engage in that knowing consciously what you're doing and hopefully have some compassion for the ants that you're having to kill. You know, so that it's not being done out of hatred and aversion. So this kind of this moment of becoming aware, this moment of the mind recognizing, oh, here I am. That moment is the opportunity to begin to choose differently. So the Buddha, I think, was actually, he was, a, he was an amazing, he had such an amazing mind that he actually noticed this really ordinary quality of mind. This fact that we can see what's happening in the present moment. We can notice that. He noticed that this is a really helpful quality in terms of, again, having that feedback to help us see exact, actually what is it that brings happiness and what is it that brings suffering at a, at a deeper level, not at the kind of ordinary surface level that we usually engage in where ordinarily we, we recognize or think, yep, if I get what I want, that'll make me happy. If I get rid of what I don't want, that'll make me happy. Well, that makes you happy for a little while. I mean, it does, it does bring some happiness for a little while, but it also conditions the, um, the mind to... Uh, continue to want to have things and to want to get rid of things. And what the, the Buddha is proposing is like, turn towards what's happening. You know, what does wanting feel like? You know, as, we, as we do that, as we become mindful of the process that we normally engage in, in terms of what we think makes us happy, as we, as we notice this process, we see there's whole chunks of time in there that we're not feeling very good. You know, the feeling of wanting itself of, of either wanting to have something or get rid of something, that feeling feels off. And we're willing to forego our, our, our well-being in the present moment for a split second or a few moments of, of having something that we want, 
of having a, a bit of chocolate or you know, some pleasant experience. We're, we're willing to forego that uh, feeling of well-being in the present moment be, for, for, you know, for that wanting so that we'll, we can get something, so that we can get rid of that feeling of wanting and have that thing. So the Buddha noticed that this quality of mindfulness helps us to understand what will make us truly happy, what will bring true happiness, and what, what helps us to let go of the ways that we struggle, the ways that we get caught. So he suggested mindfulness, this quality of knowing what's happening while it's happening is really, really worth paying attention to. Now again, you know, the, the, the quality of mindfulness itself, as I said a little while ago, is actually, you know, it's a, it's a neutral quality. It is just this reflective capacity. Um, the fact that we can know what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. And um, in fact, in the, the Buddhist teachings, in a few places, not very many, but in a few places, he actually mentions that there can be wrong mindfulness. That mindfulness can be directed in ways that won't help us so much. That, um, and this is, this is he, the way he describes it, is that it's mindfulness that's motivated out of wrong understanding. That when we, when we don't understand, or when we're not using this um, perspective around looking at what helps us to um, reduce harm in our interactions, what helps us to uh, move away from struggle, suffering. When we, we have that orientation, that, that brings wise mindfulness. If our mindfulness, like for instance, you know, just as an example of what might be wrong mindfulness, if somebody, somebody who... You know, really clearly knows what's happening in the present moment while it's happening, while they're robbing a bank. Now that is mindfulness in the service of greed, as opposed to mindfulness in the service of understanding. And so this is this is what the the Buddha pointed to. Now some people wouldn't call, it, you know, some people and you know some of the definitions of mindfulness that we get are. That, that are you know, offered in the Western um, understanding of mindfulness, and actually even in the commentaries, in, in, the, in the commentaries that I mentioned before, the commentaries on the suttas, talk about mindfulness as being wholesome, as being right mindfulness, basically. They don't, they don't include... They, don't, they wouldn't include that, mind, that being aware of what's happening while it's happening in the service of greed. They wouldn't include that as mindfulness. They wouldn't call that mindfulness. But my understanding from the, the suttas is that the Buddha actually does speak about, he uses the phrase wrong mindfulness a few times and that it is be, out of um, wrong understanding. And so, you know, this understanding, this, this example, you know, what am, why am I paying? So there's, there's the, a whole motivation or a plan that's gotten into effect, set into, set into motion. And we might you know, have lost track, you know, we might be very, very mindful of accomplishing something that is actually heading us towards suffering. So, one of my teachers, um, Saito Utejaniya, has this saying, he says, awareness alone is not enough. And we can also say that with mindfulness is not, just mindfulness isn't quite enough. We also need to bring in this understanding this wisdom. And the, the basic wisdom is, um, is around what is it that creates harm and what is it that leads away from harm. So there's a, a teaching called wise attention. And it, it, the, the Buddha says that wise attention leads to wise mindfulness. The wise attention is the proximate cause for wise mindfulness. And the main definition of um, wise attention is, is seeing our experience in terms of the Four Noble Truths. So seeing our experience, oh, this is dukkha, this is, this is suffering, 
This is the cause of suffering. This is the ending of suffering. And these are qualities that are helping me to move towards the ending of suffering. So that pretty much everything that happens to us, everything in our experience can be kind of seen through this framework. We can recognize what's happening in the moment as either suffering or not. It's, it's, there's, okay, there's anger arising in the mind, or there's frustration arising in the mind, or there's pride or aversion, or um, also these things arising in the mind. So there's these, these, these things can, might be seen as, again, something to do, something to, to take action on, or we can just recognize this, this is some of what the Buddha described of as suffering as dissatisfaction, as distress, as unease. When we turn our experience to those states, we feel the, the distress of them. And so if we can see our experience from that perspective, oh, this is suffering. That is, that is what the Buddha would call wise attention. So everything in our experience, you know, we may be experiencing kindness and love. That is more on the side of the, the wholesome qualities, the, the qualities that support moving towards the ending of suffering. So that's the, the third and fourth noble truths. So whatever's going on in our lives, we can see from this perspective. So I, I'd like to think of two key aspects of wise attention. It's basically some understanding of sufferings, of what of what the Buddha meant by suffering, you know, not just that we're experiencing unpleasant experience, but that we're reactive, that reactivity in our minds, that this is not okay, that, you know, there's something unpleasant in my experience, I need to get rid of it, I hate it, I, I can't stand it, or there's something pleasant in my experience, I want it, I need it, I feel like I'm not going to be able to be happy unless I have that thing, that the, the reactivity to our experience, this is where the Buddha pointed to our um, suffering coming from. So that's one aspect of wise attention, understanding suffering. And that is what the Buddha talked about in the first noble truth. He said that, that's what we need to do with suffering. We need to understand it. The understanding itself will help our minds to see how to move to release it, to let it go rather than taking our habitual actions on how can I get rid of this suffering, we allow our minds to begin to, at a deeper level, direct us towards a pathway to happiness through well-being, as opposed to a pathway towards happiness through greed and aversion. So that's one aspect of wise attention. The other aspect of wise attention is understanding the, um, the nature of cause and effect of how um, we, are proce- we are process beings. We are beings of process. That things don't happen randomly for us. That we make a choice and take an action and things unfold from there. That the action actually arises as a consequence of the choice that the choice has arisen as a consequence of previous things that have happened in our minds. It's all just this, this kind of process of causes and conditions. And in particular, understanding how suffering comes to be and how does it end. How does, not, how does suffering not come to be and what supports that? So we, we see that there, is, there are conditions that will lead us more towards happiness. Again, it's not random that we find happiness because we have cultivated the conditions. So, um, I want to stop there for a minute and see if there's any questions or... Yeah, and, and could you pass the, pass the mic back? I think you'll need to turn it on. Oh, it's on the side, yeah. I don't hear it. Uh, Hello. Yes. <laughs> uh, a, a small point. It, it seems that the uh, hypothetical bank robber has at least what I would call 
external mindfulness, but not internal mindfulness. Uh, that's an interesting point. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's yeah. not mindful of his own uh, inner being, uh, but he's uh, aware of circumstances. Well, he, he may be aware of his inner need to fulfill some desire. Yes. Uh, but not really more broadly aware of how, how that um, being motivated by that desire is ultimately... Um, ultimately keeps him trapped, and ultimately that inner desire is is an unpleasant experience. I mean, so yeah, there's that. There's probably, actually, I would imagine that in doing that, there would be a lot of potential fear of, you know, all kinds of stuff going on in the process of robbing a bank. You know, fear of getting caught or, you know, some other things going on. So you're right. I think there there is that 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 not having that inner inner mindfulness. Yeah. Any other any other comments? Yeah, Bill. I'm I'm not quite sure what the process was this morning for me, but I became at some point very aware that I'm I want to um, shift my focus on meditation and on mindfulness to trusting my own sense of what is happening rather than, with all due respect, your sense Mm -hmm. or any other teacher's Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been, you know, trying to follow the rules more than is helpful now. Uh Uh-huh. And that's a great thing to be aware of, actually. You know, that, that essentially, at a certain... You, you, only you can know what's happening in your experience. And as we become more and more mindful and with the understandings that the Buddha offers around what is suffering, what is not suffering, then mindfulness, those two pieces, mindfulness and wisdom, become our guide. You know, that that, that does guide us. You know that we don't that anybody else's idea is 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 an external understanding based on you know what you report or describe, but re, you you really do need to ultimately take responsibility for that. Yeah, so that's that's beautiful that you've come to that. <laughs> Pass the mic back to Mary. It just occurred to me that um, I'm a little suspicious of uh, wanting to get rid of all suffering. Uh, Because I know that, well, I remember Joseph Campbell uh, saying something about Eskimos, saying that only suffering and privation open the minds and hearts to that which is hidden to others. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, that's right on. So this idea, it, I, I know the whole Buddhist philosophy is not to, you know, just escape everything, because it, in being mindful we don't escape. It, in, in many ways, just being mindful makes us more aware. So, um, why am I having that? Because what, what's going on? So, so I think there may be a little bit of a confusion in terms of. Um, what the Buddha is actually expressing. Um, he, 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 he expressed that we should understand suffering and that that understanding would open our hearts and minds. That's what I... That's exactly why I agree with the Buddha. <laughs> so, so, and in that opening of our hearts and minds it moves us to the place where internally we suffer less from our own ways that we react and, you know, the ways that we create our own struggles so that we we move towards that place. I'm told, I've not experienced it, where we are completely free from that inner reactivity. And what that, that place of being free from that inner reactivity is, is that we then can meet the suffering of the world with 
an open heart and compassion. So that it's not about rejecting suffering, it's actually about opening too. It's not about getting rid of in a way either. It's more, it's more about understanding and that understanding opens us. Well, you have to hold it a little closer. Okay. There you go. Um, when you were talking about the bank robber, I mean, to a lesser degree, I'm more thinking like, okay, those times when you just find yourself aggravated and react reactive, and you know you're doing it, but you you still go there. You know, like how this is such a slow process. Yes. You still find yeah. yourself going to those places. I mean, I think I struggle a lot with sort of being non-judgmental about that, you know, yeah. and, and having kindness. So I was just towards myself sort of, you know, in those moments, I think, you know, we can be so focused on wanting this level of mindfulness all the time and, and to be sort of, you know, this person who's non-reactive, but, you know, because... It's not going to, it's not going to happen right away. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you can just talk a little bit about, you know, just more like concrete steps that people can take to be kind to themselves and how they can go through that process without sort of being judgmental and, um, and, and sort of negative towards themselves and not, you know, so, it's something I really struggle with personally. So, so. part of, I mean, there's, there's a lot to what you've, you've said. And, um, you know, first thing is... Um, just to normalize, yes, this is a slow process. And, um, you know, we, we take action. We see ourselves caught. We see ourselves caught. And we find ourselves just doing it anyway. It's, all, it's like the momentum of our habits is stronger than the momentum of our mindfulness. And so that the mindfulness can kind of, you know, trail along and just watch, oh, look at this, oh, no, I'm doing it again. <laughs> And so, you know, that's, so that the, the momentum of our habits, our patterns, is stronger. And so in that, in that case, what we get to do is essentially we feel the, the suffering of that as it's unfolding. That's what the mindfulness is doing there. It's feeling the suffering of it as it's unfolding. And also what the mindfulness will help us with is to... Um, to, to, to get, what I like to say for, for people is, like, get good at cleaning up the mess, you know, ha, you know the, that, yes, acknowledging, yep, that wasn't so skillful. I apologize. I'm sorry. Or, you know, to um, um, not- essentially noticing the consequences. So this is part of wise attention, again, is to notice the consequences. So we've engaged in this, and we see, oh, you know, you know, when I said that thing, I couldn't stop myself from saying that thing. I just couldn't. And you know, here's the consequences. That person's feeling hurt. That person's like not speaking to me right now. And I feel the pain of that. So we, we see how it all unfolds. And in that process of seeing how it unfolds with mindfulness as opposed to rather than that person's not talking to me, well, you know, they, you know rather than having an aversive reaction to that and a judging and a blaming reaction to that, we, we more begin to take responsibility. Yeah, you know, that unfolded out of my unskillful speech. So the the process unfolds partly by being able to watch ourselves go through our habits and patterns with a little bit of mindfulness. And you know, if we had if we had pure mindfulness, if we had complete mindfulness, we would probably engage more wisely, but we don't. So yes, it, it does it does take time. So I just want to first normalize that. It is completely normal. And to explain, too, how going through it helps you in the future. You know, so um, you've seen that this has these consequences. And it's the understanding of the cause and effect. It's the understanding of those consequences that begins to kind of inform us. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm really sad that that person feels so hurt. You know, I... I wish I hadn't said that. So that it begins to educate the mind in how our choices lead to our, how we struggle, how we suffer, how we feel un- unhappy in our lives. So we, we begin to get that education. So that's partly how it works, you know. 
Um, and then in, to, to address the question of judgment, of self-judgment, because it's also very normal that we would judge ourselves, you know. It's like we begin this practice, we get some mindfulness, and we see how uh, we begin to see how unhelpful it is to speak unskillfully. And it's like, I've seen this already. I mean, why can't I stop myself, you know? And, and we feel like I should be able to stop myself. This is, this is a perfect place to just drop in a little bit of how we have very little control over our minds. You know, that essentially... I don't have control over what my mind does all the time, you know. Because the mind is a process <laughs> and it just kind of, it's unfolding. So when mindfulness is present, it's that, have you ever heard of the Heisenberg principle? Uh, it's a, it's a physics, principle of physics where the... Um, when you add an observer to an experiment, it changes the results of the experiment. So adding the observer actually changes the environment. This is what mindfulness does. As we bring mindfulness in, it begins to change our minds. So um, how, do, how do I get back to judgment, self-judgment? I took a little wander out, and I don't know where I wandered from. Okay. <laughs> Say that again. You just yeah, you slip you slip right into them, right? And um, so so when we add the mindfulness, then it can change that. We, instead of slipping right into those patterns, we we may be able to have some ability to uh, say no. But we we what we're really getting to do is to see rather than slipping into those patterns and having them be self reinforcing. As the mindfulness is following those patterns, it's, it, it takes that self-reinforcement piece out. So that's how the observer changes the experiment. That as the mindfulness begins to watch, oh, look at this, I'm doing this, I'm speaking, I'm speaking this way. Or we may lose mindfulness for a moment and wake up after the fact and go, oh, I said it, I said that thing. And then, you know, begin to notice what are the unfolding consequences. So the, the mindfulness begins to... Um, to change how uh, how the the process the inner processes work, so rather than you know when you act out of anger and aversion or pride or greed, having that kind of reinforce the pride and the greed, what instead the mindfulness is showing is oh that 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 didn't work very well <laughs> so so it it begins to um, to, to kind of short circuit or to recondition that feedback loop. So then the judgment side of it, again, very normal that we would judge ourselves because we think we should be able to stop. We think we should be able to, to say, I should be able to stop this. Um, but we don't have that control much of the time. So that's where the judgment is coming from, is a kind of a false understanding that I should have control of my mind. Well, one of the main lessons mindfulness starts to teach us, you know, we first sit down in meditation, the first, one of the first lessons we get is, okay, we sit here. Our, our plan is, I'm going to sit here and be aware of my breathing, or I'm going to follow my, the flow of my attention. I'm going to just notice what's happening in the present moment. And what do we find? We find ourselves off thinking. You know, who did that? You know, who decided to do that? It just happened. And, you know, at some point we wake up into that thinking. We realize, oh, I have been thinking. Who did that? Who came back? You know, it's, there's very little control we have over our minds. And so the, the, the mindfulness begins to point this out to us. It begins to show us how little control we have. And so the, the judgment is, is kind of um, a misunderstanding around this level of control. So that's just, again, that's just kind of an explanation. Now, in terms of working with judgment, how do, we, how do we begin to do this? I mean, your question was, how do I not have judgment? It's not quite that easy. So again, you know, so there's the thing that I did, and I'm judging myself for that. First of all, we might say, okay, well, no, why couldn't I stop myself from doing that thing? Well, causes and conditions. 
Habits of mind. Why can't I stop myself from judging? Causes and conditions. <laughs> Habits of mind. Um, what we can do is just, wherever mindfulness can come in, it begins to change how our minds are. That Heisenberg principle thing. So be aware of the fact that you're judging. You'll just notice, oh, okay, yep, yep, there's that judgment pattern. Can you be non-judgmental about the judging? You know, can you recognize, oh yeah, there it is. And this, this too is a pattern. This too is just a, of course I'm judging. It's, I mean, as I've explained, it's very natural to judge. And it is a, a, something we've practiced. We've practiced self-judging a lot. So that's, you know, our minds go there. So of course I'm judging. Can I explore it from that perspective and not try to stop the judging in its tracks, but more, okay, and what's, what, what does judging feel like? What are the consequences of, of judging myself? You know, how does it feel? So to begin to explore it from that perspective. Again, you know, it's like turning a battleship, right? You have to start from where you are. If judging is what's arising in the moment, it's like we can't leap over that and say, well, I don't want to be there. Let me be over here. We have to start from that. And the mindfulness com- coming to meet that begins to turn how that the mindfulness is, be, is what the mindfulness in conjunction with the the wisdom is what begins to allow the mind to let go of the way it has habitually reacted in the past, and it is a slow turning. Uh-huh. So, so yes, it's the whole process is slow, and we have to meet ourselves where we are. And if that is judging ourselves, that's where we have to meet ourselves. So, okay, yep, there's that judgment. Can, yep, it's perfectly normal that I'd be judging. So can I, can I have some sense of kindness towards the judging? And that begins to cultivate kindness. Which then, you know, kind of, it, it's, it's a slow infiltration. It's like, you know, water, you know, the rain coming down and beginning to slowly seep into the earth. It's just a very slow process of becoming saturated with the mindfulness. So I hope that it helps. And it's, um, we only have one minute, so why don't we sit in silence for a minute? Thank you for your attention.